Welcome to New Creation, a home for the creative community of Los Angeles. For more information, visit our website at newcreationla.com. And now, the sermon. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, and verse 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. Acts 18, 1-4 and 18. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Church family, I read an interesting article this last week about how many people stop attending church because they couldn't make friends there. A common response was, you know, people were nice, they were welcoming, but uh, couldn't actually make friends there. Uh, No one becomes your friend. And so here's the thing, friendships take time, they take intentionality, but it isn't always a priority in the scope of even other relationships. And that makes it very difficult. Uh, Other relationships end up taking priority, uh, sometimes even just out of pragmatism. So think about it, romantic relationships. Uh, As much as my children dislike this, I say, you wouldn't be here without those. Right? So uh, family relationships, uh, without those, you would have no one to raise you. Uh, Vocational relationships, networking, uh, without them, you don't really work. And think about how that true is, especially in the arts. It's all about networking, all about those relationships. Uh, Neighboring relationships, without those, you lack safety and protection. And so we see all these things kind of jockeying for position and friendship relationships get pushed down. And yet the Bible tells us that friendship relationships are the most important, that it's the greatest love. And without friendships, we can't make it. And so we've been going through a series on friendships, the art of friendship. It is an art. Uh, And we've been looking at uh, biblical wisdom on making friends. And the last couple weeks, we've looked at a couple different friendships in the Bible. And so today, uh, we're looking at another friendship. And it's uh, generally friendship between a married couple and a single person. And so in our story, it's this friendship between uh, the married couple Priscilla and Aquila with the single man, the apostle Paul. Now, churches have traditionally separated these two groups, marrieds and singles, and really trying to make one into the other. Oh, you're single? That's not good. Let's get you married. We'll put you in a singles group over here so you can become a whole person 
married person over here, right? Not good. That, I think, is a fault. That is an error because I believe that those two groups, marrieds and singles, need one another to truly flourish. And so let's see how that plays out in our text today. So kind of bringing you into the story, our characters, we've got uh, Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, this is an ethically, uh, ethnically Jewish married couple. Uh, they live in Rome until 49 AD when the emperor of Rome, Claudius, kicked out all the Jewish residents of Rome. Uh, in Rome at that time, there was tension in the synagogues uh, as the Christian message is going out. And Claudius says, you know what? I've had enough of all of you, all the Jewish people, out. And so it's this uh, racist purge, right? Let's get rid of all of those people, causing too much trouble. Now, it's likely, we don't know for sure, but it's likely that Priscilla and Aquila were part of this Christian group of Jewish people that have been forced out of Rome. So they're forced out, and they go on a journey. They go to uh, Corinth, and uh, it's about 600 miles uh, from Rome. That's, that's quite a journey. And so they, they go there as refugees. And Corinth is this huge city. It's a huge global city, and it's an influential city. There's lots of economic opportunity there. So it seems like a good place to go. So they go and they work their craft in this new place. They are tent makers. And so what do you think they're going through? Imagine just enter into kind of their experience. What's, what's that like to be kicked out of your land to have to go 600 miles away, you're a refugee. Maybe you're scared, right? If, if they've taken on this new faith, how do we make sense of these new beliefs, see the world in this new place? What do you think they need most? A friend. They need a friend to encourage them, to walk with them, even to teach them. So that's Priscilla and Aquila. Then our other character in the story we have is the Apostle Paul. He is a single Jewish man uh, who met Jesus, as we talked about uh, a month or so ago, on the road to Damascus. He had this encounter, and he moves from being a, a Pharisee of the law, a persecutor of Christians, to becoming one of them, and actually a leader of the church, an apostle. So Paul is now on his second missionary journey, and uh, to give you just kind of uh, an idea here, the, uh, the starting point of that journey is kind of over here, and so he's making his way all through the Mediterranean Peninsula all the way over to Corinth, right? It's about 1,600 miles that he's gone so far. That's a long way to go in the ancient world. And so he's beginning a new work and a new place in this city of Corinth. And Paul is uh, what we call a slash guy. If you remember, we talked about that uh, a couple weeks ago, how LA is like the slash city because 
everybody does something slash something else, right? For me, I'm a pastor and a musician. Well, Paul, he's a slash guy, right? He's an apostle slash tent maker. And so um, he's there, and he's kind of going through the same things, right? It's hard to keep starting over, keep starting in a new place. Uh, In Corinth, his ministry is off to a slow start. And missionary work can be really discouraging, right? Because there's all these sort of measurements that, uh, that go out. Hey, how is your church doing? How big is it? How many converts do you have? Uh, tell us all the success stories. But that all takes time, investment. And so at the beginning of this, Paul is in kind of a discouraging place. Uh, he writes in the book of 1 Corinthians about his arrival in Corinth, and he says, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. So that's how he arrives there. Maybe he's got some burnout. Maybe it's just discouragement. Maybe he's going through some depression. What does he need? He needs friends. Well, the friendship between this man, Paul, and this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, is a beautiful one. When Kirsten and I moved back to Los Angeles, we uh, went to seminary in St. Louis, and we were there about five and a half years. And as we were planning to come back and do this kind of missionary work, starting a new church, uh, we asked people for contacts, like, hey, do you have, do you have friends in L.A. that uh, you could connect us to and uh, that we could meet? And it was amazing, because we thought, oh, we'll ask, but probably not going to get any of that, but we actually had people connect us to a lot of friends, and, uh, and we made some amazing new connections. I, I had a seminary fr- uh, professor, and he said, you know, I uh, went to seminary with a guy who's now an actor in L.A., Christian brother, you got to meet him, and we met him, and he introduced us to people. Uh, when we got here, there was uh, another guy who uh, was in our... Um, Presbytery, and he said, oh, you got to meet this couple, Zach and Audrey. Like, oh, okay. And like, look, here we are. Zach's with us right now. So uh, I think we see the same kind of thing happening here in our text. Paul somehow gets connected to Priscilla and Aquila, and he goes out to see them, and they make this great connection right away, right? So much in common hey, we're both uh, of Jewish heritage. We're all of Jewish heritage. Uh, We're all a long way from home. Uh, And guess what? We all do the same trade, tent makers. We're all in this huge transition period. Like, what lovely groundwork uh, to become fast friends, and they do. Let's take a look at verse 3. And so Paul, he went to see them, And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, are this amazing demonstration of hospitality, right? And I think that 
we might think, oh, hospitality, let me get like really settled in and comfortable and all set up. And, you know, once I got that all going, like maybe we can have some people over. These are refugees that are extending hospitality. They're in a new place and they say, you know what? We need to welcome people in. Isn't that amazing? Incredible examples. And so for Paul, they provide shelter, they provide fellowship, they give him a job with income so that he can preach the gospel in this new place. And he actually stays with them for about a year and a half. And there's such a mutual benefit to one another. This incredible orchestration that God puts together for these, these two groups, Priscilla and Aquila with Paul, to come together for a beautiful friendship. Well, how close of friends do they actually become? Uh, there's, there's a little bit in the text, and there's a lot between the lines. So let's jump to, uh, to verse 18. Uh, so after Paul's been uh, in Corinth and uh, this year and a half living, working with Priscilla and Aquila, after this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. So these refugees, after a year and a half, decide, you know what, Paul, we're going with you. We're going to the next leg of the journey. And so they become not just friends, but ministry partners, co-laborers. Let's take a look at Romans 16, verses 3 and 4, and listen how Paul extends a greeting as he's writing to Rome, and Priscilla and Aquila have now made their way back to where they started in Rome. And Paul tells the church there, hey, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. What happened? We don't know. It doesn't even tell us, but something extraordinary. As Paul is writing, he's like, greet them because they saved my life. They risked. They put their lives at risk. And because of it, the church has flourished. The Gentile church has flourished. Some 16 years later, as Paul is awaiting his execution, he writes in 2 Timothy 4 another greeting. Hey, greet Priscilla and Aquila. And so he's remembering, even at the end of his life, this very special friendship, partnership, how they served together and what God did through them. It's a beautiful friendship between a single man and a married couple. And so much of it is kind of between these lines that we have. And it is in the time spent, in the time invested it's in the, the sacrificial capacity that they are friends. And it is fruitful for one another and for the kingdom of God. And so a married couple in beautiful relationship with a single person. Do you 
have such friendships? Do you seek them out? Are you starting to see the value of those even? Well, let's talk about the value. We need one another, these two groups. I want to talk about how single people are a gift to married people. Okay, hear that clearly. Single people are a gift to married people. As a husband, as a father, my primary ministry is to my wife and children. Now, as a pastor, that's difficult sometimes. And you can just ask my family, by no means do I do that perfectly. But that is what God directs, that spouse and children come first. So single people have this gift of being free from that ministry burden. They don't have to do it. And so they're freed up. The challenge in our culture is this, that we tell singles, you know who you should live for? For you. Live for yourself. You come first. But the scriptures tell us something different, that we're always to be others-focused. Now, that doesn't uh, mean we're not supposed to practice self-care, right? But relationally, we're to be about others first. If, when single people get married, it just becomes a transfer of who they're serving. I was serving this group of people, now I'm serving over here. But if you have a mentality of, in singleness, ooh, I'm all about me, I serve number one, I come first, and then you get married and have family, that's gonna be a rough transition. So in singleness, we are still called in the same way to be others-focused and to serve. It's just a different group that we are serving. And that's where married people can be a huge help to singles. They can see living examples of what it looks like to live for others, to serve others. And then singles can be incredible friends to married people because they are free from that ministry that limits them. Now, uh, for Kirsten and I, becoming friends with multiple single people have been one of the most incredible blessings of our marriage in the way that they've been able to love us and love our children in the way that they've been able to come to things for our children that they couldn't do if they were married and had their own children. And so, an enormous benefit to have those relationships with single people. They have loved us and they have served us amazing. And so, um, single people can also be teachers to marry people. They can be teachers in fighting sin. Singles have a daily battle to sin that is different than married people do. And so they can be our teachers in that. And I have found, uh, particularly 
the way that my single friends, and especially my same-sex attractive friends, battle sin to be an amazing encouragement in my own pursuit of holiness. Their holiness has been an amazing encouragement in my own growth and holiness. And so again, singles are our teachers if we are married. Now let's talk about the benefit of married couples, how they're a gift to singles. Uh, The challenge, especially in this place that we live in, in Los Angeles, is one of isolation. There are so many people here, but yet we can become so isolated. And one of the things that married people can provide is this sense of family, of fellowship, of belonging to singles. Married people can provide counsel and mentorship. Uh, That's been, uh, again, such a beautiful thing. It's been amazing seeing my wife do this for uh, most of the single guys here in our church, to just be that, that woman's voice that they need, and to give counsel and to mentor how to treat other women. Uh, it's, it's beautiful. It's lovely. It's one of my favorite things. And um, married people can also uh, provide hospitality in a unique way to singles that maybe they don't have the opportunity to do themselves. Uh, I love how Noelle was saying how expensive her apartment is, right? And so, so many singles, because it's so expensive to live here, like, hey, let's have roommates, let's like, how do we make this happen? And yet, oftentimes, married people have a little bit more space because of that double income, and so they can extend hospitality to singles in a way that singles aren't able to always extend to others. So those are some of the ways that married couples can be a gift to singles. And there are mutual benefits in these friendships between married and singles, and here they are. One, we suffer with one another. As Paul lived and worked alongside Priscilla and Aquila and they broke bread together and they became more and more invested in one another, they also suffered together. Uh, I heard one pastor talking about this this week and they said um, this line that I love, you're only ever as happy as your most unhappy child, right? only as happy as your least happy child, right? Why is that, (laughs) right? The reason is, is because we're so connected to our children. There's this, this bond. And so if they're suffering, it's going to be suffering for us. But think about this. In friendships, that is voluntary to say, I'm going to enter into your suffering voluntarily not because you were born to me or because we have some sort of uh, commitment put over us, but I'm going to voluntarily enter into that kind of suffering with you. That's incredible. And so what we see in our story is that Priscilla and Aquila, they risked their lives for Paul. As he ministered in Corinth and growth was slow, Paul was even attacked He's discouraged, he's depressed, and they were with him in it. They were with him. 
And as Paul, or excuse me, as Priscilla and Aquila also struggled in this new place, missing home, Paul was with them in that. So the mutual benefits are that we suffer together and we also celebrate together. As this man, this couple, lived and worked side by side, investing in one another, they also shared the joys of life in their ministry. And so as Paul's preaching and people are coming to faith and getting baptized, they celebrate together. In true friendships, we suffer together and we celebrate together. And so I'll ask you, do you have people who suffer when you suffer? Do you have people who celebrate when you celebrate? These are kind of the building blocks for friendship. I'm gonna give us a few other building blocks that we need. One, perseverance. Friendship takes time. It takes investment. You can't microwave a friendship. Friendships are costly. True friendships are costly, not convenient, right? So if we have friends that are only fair-weathered friends, oh, let's hang out when everything's great. You're down, okay, bye-bye, right? Those aren't real friends. Real friends have to be willing to persevere. Two real, uh, real friends have to enter in with care and sensitivity. You know what friends do? Friends let you in. Friends don't just put on a smile and say, hey, everything's okay. It's all good. No, friends let you in. Friends encourage. How can we be more intentional about being encouragers with our friends? Was any of you taught how to encourage or the importance of encouraging? I wasn't. But think about it. Even for this week, how can I be encouragement to my friends? How can I come alongside them and say, I see you. I see that you're working hard. I see that you're struggling. I see that you're suffering and you're not alone, I'm with you. And so to encourage, you have to ask, you have to watch, you have to listen. How can we be encouragers this week? I encourage you to do that. We have to be comforting. That's part of that listening, saying I'm here with you. And the other piece of the comforting is reminding them of the bigger picture, reminding them of the gospel story to say whatever you're going through, not only am I with you, but Jesus is with you. Whatever suffering you're experienced, he experienced the worst suffering for you. And so as we extend that care and that sensitive listening, we also comfort and remind one another of the gospel. Third, building block of friendship is truth-telling. That means a willingness to challenge. And I think if you've not done this, I would encourage you to actually give permission to people to do this, to say, hey, when you see me like 
out of line, not being kind, not living as I ought, you need to tell me. You need to call me out. We have to be willing to challenge. Uh, Proverbs 27.6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Right? So it's an enemy who will just tell you all day long how great and wonderful you are and never tell you the truth. If we are living in fear saying, oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I can't ever tell them that. I can't ever issue a challenge there. We're not being friends. We're actually being enemies. And so we have to be willing to enter into hard conversations with gentleness, with care, knowing that wounding is going to happen, but that that wounding is for our friends good. Do you have that? Well, as we listen to these building blocks of friendships and we see this story of Priscilla and Aquila, there's a challenge. You might think, you know what? I long for friends like that. I wish I had friends like that. That's challenge number one. Challenge number two, I'm not those things. How can I be that kind of a friend? I feel like I fail at that kind of friendship, right? And so the gospel doesn't leave us there saying, here's the model, now go and do it, everybody, right? Here's the good news. Let's take a look at John 15, verses 12 through 15. Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. In Jesus we have one who is always with us, who never leaves us, who never forsakes us. In Jesus, we have one who weeps with us and who sings and celebrates with us. And as we follow him, you know what he does here? He lets us in. He lets us in. And he calls us friends. And he is the friend who tells us the difficult things that we need to hear. And he does it with such kindness and with such compassion. Let's take a look at Hebrews 2, verse 18. For because Jesus, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus is our friend who not only suffers with us, but he is the one who suffered for us. On the cross, Jesus took the greatest suffering in history upon himself so that we wouldn't have to. On the cross, Jesus took the penalty for our sins and he died with them so that we could live. And because he has suffered in every human capacity, he is a friend who can help us in our time of need. He can help us when we feel tempted. 
And when we really experience the friendship of Jesus, it fills us in a way that takes pressure off others needing to be that perfect friend or that pressure off us needing to be that perfect friend because there is one who is the perfect friend. It is Jesus. And when we experience the friendship of Jesus, it changes the way that we then enter in to friendships with others. When we experience the friendship of Jesus, it makes us long for others to experience his friendship as well. So that together with Jesus, we can celebrate for all eternity. When death has been undone and sin is vanquished. And so we can look ahead. Church family, we can celebrate that even now. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your word this morning. Thank you for this, this beautiful friendship, so much of what happens between the lines. We don't know the details. We don't know the, the hours, the time invested, the meals, the joy, the suffering. We don't know all the intimate details, but we see that it happened, and we see what a benefit it is for marrieds and singles to be friends. And so, Lord, help us to encounter true friendship with you first and foremost. And may that change the way that we enter into our friendships. May it take pressure off it. Lord, as we look at these building blocks of friendship that we see demonstrated uh, between Priscilla and Aquila and Paul, and really, more importantly, and more perfectly between you and us. Lord, may it change us. May it transform us. And Lord, I pray that our friendship with you would be contagious. Lord, give us a, a passion as we experience your friendship to extend it to others. And Lord Jesus, we, we pray all these things in your beautiful and mighty name through the power of your spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this sermon and encourage you to become a regular member of our online community. To find out more about the church, visit our website at newcreationla.com.